0: I titled the sermon today, Defiant Obedience, which is kind of an an interesting pairing of words, Defiant Obedience and the Den of Lions. And we're going to be covering familiar ground here, especially for those that grew up in the church. I'm sure that uh, in Sunday school, maybe on the flannel graph, I'm I'm, I'm that old, yep, Uh, you know, the lions, I remember that, and I remember being struck by this story, but I'll just say... The challenge of familiarity is that we would assume that we know this, and the beauty of God's Word is that it lives. It's living, a living Word, and there is so much for us to glean together as we move through these verses today. So let's dive in together, verse 1 of chapter 6. Actually, no, let's start in Daniel 5 where Pastor Alex left off last week, Uh, verses 30 and 31, so that the setup for chapter 6 comes here. That very night, Belshazzar, the drunken, pagan, godless, blaspheming king, the Chaldean, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom. Now, note the words. Note the words. It's not that he took it, even though by his hand Belshazzar was was killed, but he received the kingdom. From whom? From God Himself, the Most High God, who raises up and puts down any and all as He pleases and ordains. So Darius the Mede receives the kingdom, being about 62 years old. And so we have a huge transition taking place, just just as the Lord said it would. The head of gold is now replaced as the statue moves down. Just as Daniel foretold, the kingdom will not be yours forever forever. Nebuchadnezzar. It will be given, and we see now who it is. It's the Medes, beginning with Darius the Mede. Now, uh, this is a fascinating empire. We often refer to it as the Medo-Persian Empire. And the history on this is really amazing. There is a co-regency agreement that came together. So you have the Medes, who, by the way, were the far superior power at this time, but they come together and establish a co-regency with a younger Cyrus II of Persia, such that when um, this empire took over, the Medo-Persian Empire really moved kind of in in unison together. Darius the Mede was placed in in, uh, power there in Babylon, and then followed by a younger Cyrus II, but really uh, together, moving together and sharing in power. A lot of times people think that Darius the Mede is indeed Cyrus II, but after some study and a lot of help from Tom Anderson, uh, man, I love it when guys have the gift to dig deep and do all of the background research, um, we have concluded that it, it's very likely that Darius the Mede was a title that was given to a man named Syaxares II, and uh, that he ruled beginning at the age of 62. Um, for a short time during this transition, and then Cyrus II came in and continued this kingdom. So, the Medo-Persian Empire, you can see on the map um, how they were up above to the north, a huge swath of land, and now they have grown in power, and God has said, I'm bringing down the Medes, and they will take over the Babylonian Empire and will rule with an iron fist for as many days as he had appointed So, this is the massive transition that we find ourselves in. Here is Daniel once again in the middle of kingdom in transition. Another king is on the throne, and here he is before this man now to serve him faithfully as God has commanded him to do as an exile in a foreign land. So, verse 1 1 through 5 prominence and persecution. Prominence and persecution. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three presidents, of whom Daniel was one, Uh, to whom these satraps should give an account so that the king might not suffer loss. So anytime you have a kingdom change, you have uh, this shift in power, and you have the challenge of keeping everybody together. You want to keep rule and, and order And so 120 satraps were put in place. These were people who were given rule and reign, uh, probably established people who knew the land, knew the people, knew the cultures, and they were supposed to kind of oversee things. And then over them, to keep them accountable from being corrupt, uh, from keeping resources that were the king's, there were three presidents established. Daniel is one of these three presidents. Now that should just strike us as truly amazing. You remember Daniel? Daniel? He is a slave who was taken against his will as a teenage boy from Jerusalem and brought to pagan Babylon and has thrived in obedience to the Lord whom he serves and in service of the kings who God has ordained and put in place for him to serve both as a mouthpiece of God, the prophet, and as a leader of God's people who are in exile for 70 years." as God has determined, 70 years. Now, at this time, as we're in this story, those 70 years are nearly complete, which if you do the math then, we're talking about a Daniel who is in his early 80s. He is an old man at this point, frail, fickle. He is um, not a, a strong man, not able to, uh, to, to wield his, his strength and power, but he is a wise old man at this time. It helps to know that as we go into this story. Now, this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Think of how significant this is. Now, Daniel might be old, but this guy is a hard-working man. He is a man who has proven himself trustworthy, Even to foreign leaders, he is a man who can be trusted, depended upon. He is faithful, hardworking, and wise. He is a man of character, a man who stands above the crowd. And frankly, in the midst of the political fray and all of the pagan darkness and compromise, Daniel shines. He shines bright. And God has set favor upon him To place him in positions of authority, even in pagan lands. Now, as he is promoted and rising through the ranks, they hear of this, that the the king is about to promote and put Daniel over everything. Jealousy stirs up. Jealousy. And frankly, I think Daniel holding um, lying men accountable makes them his enemies. His presence... His character shines in such a way that those who see that light cringe and they are held accountable by it. They don't like it. They don't like that he's being promoted and they remember the fact that he is, by the way, a slave who was pulled from the land of of Judah. What right does he have to rule in our land? This stirs up a deep jealousy. It reveals corruption and we're going to see that on display in these verses. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground of complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Okay? So... They're unable to bring any charge against Daniel. This is the ultimate, uh, like, dirt-digging expedition. They are trying to find, well, has he stolen any money? Has he done anything that we can bring up that will convict him of wrongdoing and kick him down the line a little ways? Nothing. They can't find it. It's a great example of what it looks like in Scripture to be walking in a way that is above reproach. Now, remember... Daniel is a sinner too, just just like we are. Daniel is not a perfect man. Job wasn't either, right? When the Lord says, hey, consider my servant Job, he walks blameless and upright. That doesn't mean sinless. That means he, he hunts after his sin and takes it out and confesses his sin and deals rightly with his sin such that godly character shines over and above and through it. A man above reproach. They could hurl insults and they could hurl accusations and nothing would stick. It would just slide down. So because they can't find anything to, uh, to deal with him with, they decide to fabricate it. We have to invent a scenario where offense will be uh, given by his actions. And the best way they could find with that is in regard to his loyal, faithful worship of God. So, prohibition on prayer Prohibition on prayer, verses 6 through 9. Then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, Here, listen to these words, O oh, King Darius, live forever, right? The, the typical greeting. Now, listen for the lies, okay? Listen for the lies. All the presidents of the kingdom lie. Instant lie. The word all. All the presidents of the kingdom, they're including Daniel. It's a straight-up lie. The prefects and the satraps, the counselors, the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. They go on. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians. So they, they know how the Medes and the Persians think, and they're trying to play the fiddle, right? They're just playing to this guy. Hey, put, it in, in, uh, put your signature on it. We've got the document already drafted up. All you have to do is sign. And when you do, it cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document... And the injunction. Oh, this is a decision he will regret very soon. But he signs it. And we know the law of the Medes and the Persians, we're not joking, this is how they rolled. If they put something down and they put pen to paper and they put it in in that sense, that that law of the Medes and Persians, it was signed, sealed, that's it. No reversing it. Not even the man who signed the document could undo it. It's going to happen. Imagine their faces as the pen scribbled. Wouldn't have been a pen, probably a quill, right? The ink goes on to the document, and they're like, we got him. We got him. We win. This is false testimony. Now, just, this, this jumped out to me. I had never thought of this before until I studied this week. I want you to think how some of these events and details foreshadow Christ and interactions that Jesus has as the ultimate fulfillment. Daniel is but a shadow, a pointer, just like David, right? Just like Joseph. In this, there are details that will blow your mind. One is that Jesus was attacked falsely, falsely accused. They sought to trap him constantly, and they struggled to do so. So even on the night of his trial, under cover of darkness... They were lying to try to put him in a position of guilt, and they couldn't do it. Now, Jesus was truly without sin in a way that Daniel could not stand before the Lord. But both were faithful, and both were trapped in false accusations. Now, 30 days of exclusive worship. What's going on with this? What what do we make of this? Well... Some say this is just to butter up the king and make him feel good about himself. Get everybody to worship him for 30 days. Kind of like Nebuchadnezzar's golden statue, right? Everyone bow, and uh, he, he kind of liked that. That feels good. Everyone bow, right? Others say, no, maybe it's actually a more shrewd plan to try to put like a religious unification thing in a king who's in transition over new uh, cultures, and, and and gods, and goddesses, and so if, if they can have them all pray through the mediation of King Darius, so he becomes kind of the mediator between the gods and the people, then that's what they're after. Well, regardless of which it was, it might have been both, it doesn't really matter. To pray to anyone but God is blasphemy. Let me say that again, because this needs to be said. To pray, to make supplication to anyone but the Most High God is blasphemy. Mary, the mother of Jesus, should never be prayed to. Never. You know why? She can't answer your prayers. She can't. Mary did not bestow any divinity upon Jesus. She was chosen as a teenage a young girl to experience the favor of God and the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. Jesus did not derive His divinity from Mary. Don't pray to Mary. Don't pray to the saints. Don't pray to Peter. Don't pray to Paul. We don't pray to anyone but God the Father through Jesus His Son by the Holy Spirit. That is the object of our prayers. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. How do we come to the Father? We only come through Jesus. He becomes our Father as Jesus is our Savior. And He delights that we come. Now, can we pray to Jesus and to the Holy Spirit too? Yes, they're God. One God, three persons. We don't pray to our dead ancestors. Oh, think of ancestor worship in the cultures around the world today. The idols and the figurines and the candles and all the prayers. Dia de Muertos. All of that. It's all blasphemous. It's idolatry. And imagine the God of all of creation who has ordained and called forth the prayers. Sitting up there, the God who is able And hearing people pray to others, it's offensive to God. It is offensive to God when people carry their dependence anywhere but Him. 30 days of exclusive worship is a non-starter for Daniel. But it's not just Daniel. Remember, this is a a nationwide, kingdom-wide announcement all the satraps, all the regions, everyone is told you cannot pray to anyone but Darius for 30 days. 30 days. So the question then begs, how important is prayer to you? Could you make it 30 days without prayer? Would you notice if President Biden declared in this nation that every Christian has a 30-day break, and they are outlawed. They are barred from praying to God for 30 days. And if they are caught praying to God, they are instantly to be killed. What do we do? Cancel church? What, we, we just stop praying? You see, the, you see the reality? Prayer is not just something that we do when it works great. No, prayer is our relationship with God. It's communion with God. It's dependence upon... Why did Daniel experience God's favor and blessing? It is because Daniel was a man devoted to prayer. He needed God every moment of every day. Pray without ceasing is a command of Scripture. It is a call to the Christian that we don't just go through our day as practical atheists living as if there is no God. We lean on Him. We delight in Him. We talk with Him in the morning and all day long. You ever caught yourself going through a day with no prayer? Be rebuked in that moment. Confess and repent. Oh God, I don't want to be like that. Strengthen my dependence upon you. Cause me to be more aware of you and depending upon you, delighting in you as I walk through my day. Would our church be impacted if we chose to not pray for 30 days? I guarantee you this we would. We would be weakened. We would be in deep trouble if we tried to make it 30 days without prayer. Now, ask yourself this if the president had police officers surrounding the church, and this was how it went if you walk into that building, you will be arrested and executed. All you have to do is just go 30 days. That's all we're, It's just 30 days. Don't pray for 30 days. Well, it'd be easy to start running some things. Well, I mean, we, we, we're more effective alive than we are dead, right? So 30 days. What's 30 days? Lord, you understand? It's bigger than that, isn't it? I'm grateful to be at a church that took this seriously, that was willing to obey the Lord and open even in the midst of a phase one lockdown. Now, the Lord was gracious to lead us to that decision, but I I look back on that and I'm grateful for it. Because at the end of the day, we obey the Lord. We obey the Lord. Prayer is everything. Prayer is everything. And the decision is easy in this one, even though the consequences are massive. Verse 10 is spectacular. Devotion and defiance. Devotion and defiance. When Daniel knew the document had been signed. Okay, so this is not, oh, I didn't know. This is, this is not ignorance. He, he witnessed it signed by the king, and he went out, went to his house, where he had windows in his upper chamber, open toward the west, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed, made supplication, and gave thanks. He worshiped before his God. As he had done previously, so much in this little verse, he did not change a single thing of his faith and his practice and his delight in God and his devotion to God in prayer. In fact, He saw the paper signed and purposed to go do it publicly, exactly as he always had done. Now, there's benefit to not only Daniel, but all of those who are looking to Daniel as a leader for God's people in exile. They see his courage, and they are sparked and encouraged to obey and be faithful, to depend upon God in prayer. Steady and defiant. That's what this is. This is defiant obedience. Truly, he is faithful to God. I will obey you. No matter what you say, I am going to obey. You cannot tell me how I am to worship, when I am to worship, what I can and cannot do when it comes to the worship of my God. He does not go down the quibbling, shaky, meandering path of rationalization. Well, I'm trying to keep the peace, right? I'm about to be promoted, Wouldn't it be better for me to be promoted over all of the kingdom and and then have that kind of resource to bring to bear? I can make it 30 days without prayer. I'll I'll just compromise a little here so that I can do that over there. No, absolutely not. What you give up here destroys all of that. And as we've seen, 30 days can turn into a little longer, can't it? 30 days, then we're going to flatten the curve. What was it, two weeks initially? And then, and then, well, a little longer. And then it turned into something altogether different. You can't take communion. You have to wear a mask. You can't even sing. You have to hum. The craziness of the state reaching into the church and trying to direct worship, absolutely unacceptable. It was chosen. It was unashamed. It was consistent. It was a spectacular example of civil disobedience in faithful obedience to God. The high priest questioned the disciples saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. That's the name of Jesus. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us? But Peter and the apostles answered, we must, must Obey God rather than men. You can't can't tell us not to preach. That's not your authority. Sanhedrin, 70-member council with massive intimidation, and by the way, the same soldiers that crucified Jesus, at their ready. And they say, we must obey God rather than men. And that's exactly what they kept doing. We stand on the shoulders of these men. We follow their lead, their example. Daniel, Peter, James, John, the Apostle Paul. These men obeyed the Lord and counted the cost. How's it going to go for Daniel? Well, not easy. Prosecution and punishment... Verse 11, you can just imagine these guys. They're already positioned. They've got the the spotting scope lined up, if it were in our day, right? The the cameras are rolling. There's the window. The, the, The blinds are open. It's not like he's closing the blinds and hiding at all. There he is. He's praying. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. They came near and said to the king concerning the injunction, O king, Did you not sign an injunction that anyone, emphasis, anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast in the den of lions? The king answered and said, This thing stands fast. According to the law of the Medes and Persians. He hasn't caught on yet. He hasn't caught on with what's going on. It can't be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel. Now, just Pause here for a second. Note this. They use his Jewish name. You remember when they tried to rename him? Nebuchadnezzar years ago. Years ago. It didn't work. Daniel has stayed true to his God. His name means God is my judge. And now they're using his name again. His actual Hebrew God-honoring name, Daniel. He has refused to be assimilated He stands as one set apart, even in a pagan land. He has not been just completely molded into the land. Now, they want to remind the king of Daniel's identity. So they point back and they say, Daniel, by the way, who is one of the exiles, by the way, slaves from Judah, he pays no attention to you, O king. They want to make it personal. Or the injunction that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. The king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. All of a sudden, it all becomes clear. He understands. Oh, you guys. Are you kidding me? Did, did you really do th- You're just trapping Daniel. That's what this is all about. He is absolutely undone. can't believe what he has signed, but guess what? He labored until the sun went down to rescue him, which means they got him in the morning. They got Daniel in the morning. The king brought accusation, and all day long the king tried to undo the law of the Medes and Persians, and he couldn't. It's irrevocable. These men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, No, O king, it's the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. And I'm thinking right about now, Darius is catching on and he's beginning to take note of these men who are maliciously attacking Daniel and playing him the fool. He's catching eyes and remembering these men. They have the upper hand and he is trapped. I'm struck by this as well. The king cannot save Daniel. There's nothing that the king can do to save this man. And just you pull back to the larger view of salvation. Can any of us save our loved ones? Parents, can you as much as you would want, save your children from their sins? You can't. Your co-workers, your closest friends, we can't save, but there is one who can, right? And this is why, once again, prayer is so significant. We can't save, but we go to the one who can, and we pray, oh God, If you would be so kind as to set your salvation upon this sinner, you saved me, and I don't deserve it. Oh, please, oh Lord, if you would be so kind to save them from their sins. I pray that you would. Please open their eyes. Bring them to your son Jesus. The king can't do it. He tries all day long. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. And the king declared to Daniel as he's being sent in, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. Now that word continually stands out to me, right? Like, without 30-day breaks, the God that you worship and serve, may He deliver you. That's right. He nails it. He is the focus and the hope alone. Well, God has made lions to be uniquely majestic and incredibly intimidating, okay? It's one thing to be at the zoo and to see the lions and know you're safe. It's an entirely different thing to be standing in front of a lion like that who has been starved for a few days to make sure he's extra ferocious and he's looking at you and licking his chops thinking, food, Right, Can you imagine? Don't, don't forget, he is a prophet of God, yes, but he is a regular man, just a regular human being who has weaknesses and fears to battle just like all of us. To stand in front of an intimidating lion, just one lion would be enough, an entire den of lions he is lowered down into. This moment is mind-blowing. The kings of this time would collect lions because they were a symbol of strength, and they would show that they were stronger because they, they captured the lions, and they would show them off, much like a zoo. They would build these walls and, and keep the lions in a pen. Um, the water table was too high to be able to dig a pit, uh, you know, like down into a, a lion's den, so they would build walls and probably put windows with bars in there, and and then a ceiling was on this lion's den where there was a stone that covered the, the entrance. So imagine this. This is one artist's rendering of it. Here's an early 80-year-old man, probably weak and frail. He's lowered down in one way or another. Maybe there was a ramp that he, he was slid down on, or maybe he, they tied him from a rope and, and just dangled him down. In any case, there he is standing before ferocious lions who are waiting to devour him, and he is completely helpless on his own. He can't defend himself. It's not like he's going to take his staff and try to beat him down. No, he's a dead man. But God, but God. Listen to how this goes. A stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. Now, I'm struck by that. That points to a detail that is significant in our Savior's death. A stone was rolled and look at the seal. The king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his Lord's that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Now, some say that this is uh, just kind of uh, proof that, that Darius wasn't as much uh, you know, for Daniel, but I think it's just the opposite. I think Darius is trying to make sure that no one tampers with this, this den. No one throws Uh, you know, poison darts in and and tries to kill Daniel if the lions decide not to do it. Daniel is going to survive if God delivers him. And this king is trying everything he can to deliver him and, and keep him safe. But he can't get him out from the den of lions. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. Now, we learn about the king and his sleepless night. But I kind of want to know about Daniel. Right? What, would, what was Daniel's experience like in this moment? Someday, we'll gather around, and we'll sit down, and we'll just sit like, Daniel, fill us in, man. T- tell us all the stuff that we were wondering. We got questions. When this happened, what about this? And, and he'll tell us what that night was like. Imagine it would have sounded a lot like uh, the, the king who prayed in Second Chronicles. We are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on You. Our eyes are on You. Oh, have you been there? Have you been there in life? Completely overwhelmed. Everywhere you look, lions. It just seems like it's all fallen apart. In that moment, let Daniel's example call to you Let Jesus' example as He prayed in the garden. Father, I look to You. I run to You. Be my rescue. Our eyes are on You. Protected and proven innocent. Verse 19-24. through Protected and proven innocent. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. Now, someone at the break of day went in haste. To the tomb where Jesus was laid, didn't they? They ran, the ladies. And as he came near, Daniel, where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. Now, this is an interesting mixture of emotion here. He, he's crying out in anguish, but he is crying out. So there's, he's hopeful and yet doubtful. Uh, it's an inter- interesting mix of, of emotions. The king declared to Daniel, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God. Note that. Servant of the living God. He's not a God of stone or wood. He lives. And then he says this. Has your God whom you serve continually, without 30 day breaks, right? Has has your God been able? What a fascinating choice of words. Has he been able to deliver you from the lions? Is our God able? The answer is yes, He is. He is. The question of ability is never in doubt with God. So what a beautiful answer God gives to this question. And all oh, this question rings out in the Christian life over and over and over. Like I said a few weeks ago, if you get the answer to this question right, it'll change your life. God is able It doesn't always mean he's willing to work in the way that we think he should, but can he deliver from this situation of medical challenge or this scary situation of of this or that? Can he do it? He can. No doubt. Will he? Well, that's the bigger question. What does he want to accomplish most? How is he going to be glorified? Sometimes... He is most glorified by allowing the situation to continue. Sometimes, and I would say in most cases, for the martyrs, the lions do devour. We have folks who are in the cloud of witnesses today who will tell stories over and over and over. Well, this is how I died. I was fed to the lions in the Colosseum. And no, the mouths of the lions were not stopped that day. They tore us to shreds but we lived because of King Jesus, right? So we don't want to predict the hand of God, but we never doubt His ability. He is able, and that's where our faith lives. Can He deliver us? Yes, He can. Then Daniel said to the king, he responds here, these words must have made the king's hearts just leap for joy. Oh, king, live forever forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths. They have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. It's an interesting way that he puts it. He sees the, the verdict from God in, in projecting him from the mouths of lions as his innocence. He was falsely accused. And he wasn't being malicious to try to harm the king, he was trying to help. The king understands and sees. It says, the Lord sent his angel. Which angel? We don't know. We're going to see some angels in the chapters that come doing the bidding of God. Beautiful, glorious, strong angels. Who who was the angel? We're not told. But that angel came immediately. Now these lions are ravenous. And as he is dropped into this pit, lowered down into this, this structure, this angel was there. Shutting the mouths of those lions. Turning them into kitty cats. Now, I doubt he had a snuggle fest down in there with them. And i got to say, every time I look at a cat, I still see a little lion in there. there. You look in their eye, you can see a lion. It's connected. God turns those fierce animals into docile, gentle lions. In Isaiah chapter 11, also in chapter 65, we learn that a day is coming when the lion will lay with the lamb. And lions, as we know them, will be made to eat straw like an ox. And a small child will lead them around. Imagine that. That day is coming. We're not there yet, though. There's a little glimpse of a future glory in this interaction. Trusting God is what it comes down to. We are saved by grace through... Faith, not of our works. We're not down there battling it out with the lions. No, we are helpless and doomed. How does God save us? By grace through faith. This is a beautiful display of trusting God for salvation. The hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 mentions this. There are many those who through faith, through faith in God, that is, Conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, and became mighty in war, even putting foreign armies to flight through faith, through faith in the Most High, the Sovereign of all. Friends, that's the same God we worship, the same God. He has not changed There's no change here in the God of all sovereign glory. The king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. What a day. What a celebration. About that promotion. Oh, it's going to happen. You know this. Only a heightened regard for Daniel was found, an admiration for his determined faith and loyalty to worship God alone, serving him continually. What about these lions? Maybe they're sick. Maybe they're just old and they're not hungry or ferocious anymore. Is that what's going on with the lions? Well, the last few verses here show us that there's nothing wrong with the lions, The king commanded those men who had maliciously accused Daniel and brought and cast them into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones to pieces. These lions were ferocious killers in that moment. And the enemies of God's people were crushed. In the jaws of justice. Struck by that because King Jesus will come. And there is coming a day when all of the enemies of our great king, our sovereign king, will be crushed beneath his feet. He will put them down forever. Justice will fall. Now, proclamation of praise, verses 25 to 28 Then King Darius wrote to all peoples, nations, and languages. I love how they do this. To the the ends of the earth, basically. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Oh, I wish he would have said before the Most High God, who is now my God. He doesn't say that. It may be that God stirred in his heart a powerful salvation after these events. We don't know. For He is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. That's the theme of the book of Daniel. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. This is a song of praise. It's it's laid out as a song. It's a beautiful display of worship of the God who is most high. Once again, we have a human ruler who has been forced to reckon with the God of all sovereign beauty. Look at his words of praise. This is an absolutely sovereign God who is sovereign with no end. He, he will always be the ruler, the king, the sovereign. And he is today. Today. Now, I want you to think about where the transition we're at. Uh, The narrative part of uh, of Daniel has finished with chapter 6. We move now into the apocalyptic, the end times views of of 7 and the visions on to come through 12. And one of the things that this book has its purpose in, in, in its structure even is to show us the same God who is sovereign in all of these displays that we've studied up close will also be sovereign in all that is to come. It is such a cool book. The first half shows us how he has worked. The second half is confident in how he will work. And that meets us here today with great strength for our faith to grow in him, to trust him. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian who followed after I was just struck by this. I was thinking about Daniel in a pagan land. Really, he spent 70 years, as it were, in the lion den. Right? It was was 70 years of exile in a pagan land, in all of the challenges and and the situations he found himself. But every day of that 70 years, upheld and sustained by the Most High Sovereign God. It's the same God we worship, whatever we face. So our response this morning. I've got four things to draw our attention to. It's really a prayer that God would accomplish this in us more. O oh Lord, help us to be a distinct people, holy and set apart unto Him. We want to be a people who live in the world but are not of the world, a people who are in love with the holiness and righteousness of God and yet who live in a world of darkness to shine to show forth His glory. A people who refuse to compromise God's Word in the midst of a dark land that is increasingly pagan and godless. Here we are, Good Shepherd, a distinct people. Keep your name, Christian. Keep your name. Don't surrender, Daniel. Don't surrender your name to the culture around us. Oh Lord, help us to be a defiantly obedient people, faithful to you, even if it costs us our lives, no matter what the cost. We are in good company if we lose our lives in defiant obedience to the Lord Himself, standing faithful to Him and defying rulers and emperors. Good company. Oh Lord, help us to be a dependent people devoted to prayer. I pray that this sermon will meet you with a priority of prayer. May this week be more devoted to prayer than last week. That's how I experience as I study more more joy in prayer, more often in prayer. Oh, be encouraged. Christian, pray without ceasing. Walk with your God. Delight in Him. Talk to Him. Depend upon Him. And, O Lord, help us to be a delighted people in awe of Your sovereign glory. Much the opposite of being a problem for us, it is the very foundation of our worship. We see His sovereign glory and we sing His praise. Let's pray. Father, that is our prayer. Oh, that is our prayer. Thank You that we can come to You and depend upon You in things like this. Thank you that you have placed us strategically in a a land of darkness to be a light of hope, to shine the beauty of your sovereign lordship, to point to your King who is on his throne and will be forever. Father, we delight in you. King Jesus, we delight in you. Holy Spirit, thank you for your ministry. Even just now as I've proclaimed your holy word, Strengthen us to the task at hand, O Lord. Make us more like Daniel. Make us more like your son Jesus, faithful to the end. Thank you for his victory. We stand in his triumph by faith. Come, Lord Jesus, our King, come and make this world right. Put down your enemies and establish your kingdom right here in our presence in a visible way, we pray. Until that time, Lord, find us faithful. Find us faithful. Sustain us by your grace, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.